Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with the reboot of Scripture Uncovered. Recall a few podcasts ago, we read in Matthew 4 that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching, preaching, and healing. And we looked at examples of Jesus' teaching, the primary one being the Sermon on the Mount, a brilliantly structured teaching of explicating text structured in four parts, a clever and memorable introduction, the Beatitudes, six propositions that exceed the law, six concrete actions to implement the law, and a three-part call to action, knock, seek, and find. Just a brilliant example of Jesus' teaching. Then we moved on to his preaching. And preaching, unlike teaching, is application of a text. And we looked at Jesus' lessons on the fear of persecution. We looked at his lessons on detachment and radical simplicity. And in this podcast, I'd like to look at his lessons on the responsibilities of discipleship. And I turn over to Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Jesus says to the crowd, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I remember back in the early days of teaching scripture, of my teaching scripture, uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was on faculty at UCLA, UCLA English Department, and I was studying up at Fuller Seminary. And I would use the library up there, it's a good theological library. And I remember pulling into the parking lot up at Fuller, and I noticed a car that had a bumper sticker that said, the Lord is coming, look busy. I thought that was pretty funny. And yet, it's true. You know, when we move into the family of God, the Holy Spirit provides us with talents, gifts, and abilities to be used in the service of the family of God. And we're to take those talents, gifts, and abilities, develop them, and then put them to work, and put them to work faithfully. That's important. The Lord never called us to be successful. He called us to be faithful to the task. When I think back over all these years of teaching, 30-some years, I think in all that time of teaching, oh, back in the early 2000s, I had nine classes a week all over Southern California and Arizona. And I think in all that time, I missed maybe three or four classes Uh, due to illness or scheduling or one thing or another. But it was really important. The hardest thing 
about being faithful to the work you're called to do is simply showing up. You know, if you, if you join a gym and you're going to get in shape, the hardest part about going to the gym regularly is showing up at the gym. You know, it's much easier to sit at home and have another cupcake for breakfast, but get your butt up and show up. So here in this story that Jesus tells to the crowd, you know, the servant is waiting for the master who's off at a wedding banquet. And it would be easy just to fool around, not pay much attention. After all, you don't know when he's coming home, but they need to be ready. The Lord is coming. Look busy. And Peter then said, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? I think there's a real edge to that. Are you being critical of us? When you say, when you talk about the servants who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, you were looking over at us. Were you directing that at us? And the Lord answered, Who then is faithful? Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master put in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant, whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put them in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant says to himself, You know, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he's not aware of, and he'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Everyone, from everyone, who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Well, that's a very important principle in Jesus' application of Scripture. The responsibilities of discipleship. Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, chose his inner circle, the twelve, his key disciples, and among them, the inner inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He spent three years traveling throughout Galilee, teaching, preaching, and healing. And they spent three years with him, listening and learning. And then, after Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, he took that inner circle and he spent 40 days with them, teaching them what they needed to know to get the gospel out to the world. He commissioned them as apostles, apostello, one who is sent. And there are only 12 apostles. Judas bit the dust, he hanged himself, and he was replaced by Matthias or perhaps Paul. Capital A, apostles. A capital A apostle, we learn in Acts chapter 1, is a person 
who has been an eyewitness to Jesus' entire public ministry from his baptism all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection. That was crucial in being one of the 12, that you were an eyewitness. And when Peter's in prison in Rome and he writes 2 Peter, he said, we were eyewitnesses. We didn't make this stuff up. We were there. And that was extraordinarily important, to be a capital A apostle. But all of us, you and me both, we are small letter A apostles. Once we step into the family of God, once we are in the family of God in the church, and we are given talents, gifts, and abilities to be nurtured and developed, and we take those talents, gifts, and abilities, and we develop them to where they can be put to use. It's important that we do. And it's important that we do so faithfully. Now think of Peter. Peter is the lead of the apostles. Peter will be the one responsible for all the others. And Peter had been trained by Jesus. He had been taught by Jesus. My goodness, he traveled all throughout Galilee with Jesus for three years. And Jesus lived at Peter's home during that three-year time. So imagine the private conversations that Peter had with Jesus when they're just sitting around at night, having a glass of wine and talking. All that time. That was preparing Peter for his job as the capital A apostle. But then... At the last moment, when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin prior to his crucifixion, Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, and he was afraid, terribly afraid. And during that time, people thought they knew who he was. You're, you're one of them, they said. Not, not me. And he denied the Lord. Three times he denied the Lord. Can you imagine? What did Peter do when they brought Jesus out of the door of the home of Caiaphas and they locked eyes together, he and Peter? Peter fled. He rushed out the gate, ran down the street, collapsed into bushes, and Luke tells us he wept bitterly. Peter is a broken man. Peter was the one chosen for this job to lead the apostles. And he's the first one who cut and ran. He can't forgive himself. And after Jesus' resurrection, we're told by Paul that he first appeared to Peter. We have no idea what they said, but I think Peter just looked at his feet. And finally, Jesus just walked away. Peter needed time to heal. And Peter will be given that time. After Jesus' resurrection, turn over with me to the gospel according to John. At John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, 
the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. And Peter said, I'm going out to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now notice, they said, we'll go with you. And who were they? Well, the inner circle, Peter, James, John, the sons of Zebedee. But we also had Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. These guys aren't fishermen. And two others. We don't know who they are. I think they were worried about Peter. After all, Judas had hung himself. He was one of the twelve. Peter denied Jesus. And they can tell that Peter is suffering. So they're going to go with him and comfort him and make sure he's safe. That night they caught nothing. Not sure they particularly tried. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. They were about a hundred yards out, and the sun comes up over the Golan on the east, and Jesus is on the shore. It's just beginning to be daybreak. They see a figure, but they don't recognize who it is. He said, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. They dropped it right on top of the school of fish. And the fish in the Sea of Galilee, the dominant fish in the Sea of Galilee, is a variety of tilapia, a light white fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards out. Now, we've been to the Sea of Galilee many times. In fact, this last February, I led my 63rd tour, 63rd teaching tour to Israel. And we always begin up in Galilee, right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right near where this story takes place. And I've swum in the Sea of Galilee many a time. When you walk into the Sea of Galilee, depending on how high the water level is, but uh, you walk into the Sea of Galilee, there are a lot of rocks when you first go in, then it gets sandy, and you can walk out a long way before you're chest deep. Oh, easily a couple of hundred yards. It's very shallow as it moves out toward its center. The Sea of Galilee is about 140 feet deep at the deepest part, but very shallow around the edges. So Peter jumps out of the boat at about 100 yards out, and at that point he's maybe between waist and chest high in the water, and he begins running toward the shore. He desperately wants to see the Lord. Desperately. When they landed, 
They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153 of them. But so many that the net, it, it was odd. It wasn't even torn. And Jesus said, Come and have breakfast. I think that's really nice. Jesus waited on the shore, lit up a fire, and made them breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Remember? To the group, one time in the upper room, and Thomas was not there. A second time in the upper room when Thomas was there and now here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Although Jesus did appear to Mary Magdalene, uh, to Peter privately, Paul tells us, and other private appearances to Cleopas on the road to Emmaus and his friend. So they eat breakfast. Now notice that Peter was the first one who jumped out of the boat running toward the shore. But he's the last one to get to the shore. He started unloading the boat. Peter wanted so desperately to see the Lord and say, I am so sorry. But he just couldn't do it. He was afraid. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated. He just couldn't do it. He sat around that fire with the others, I'll bet on the fringes of it in the shadows, picking at the fish. Didn't eat much. And when they had finished eating, Jesus looked over at Peter. He said, Peter, let's go for a walk. And they did. They walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the western shore, northwestern shore. If the Gal Sea of Galilee is a clock, at about 10 o'clock, and they walk along the shore toward about 12 o'clock. And they didn't say much, just walked. Peter looked at the ground. And finally, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, well, that hurts. He had nicknamed Simon, son of John, Peter, the Rock. Yo, Rocky. But now he used the formal name. Do you truly love me more than these? That is, more than the guys back there? Do you truly love me? In Greek, there are several words for love, denoting different types of love. Eros is erotic love. Phileo is friendship. And agapeo, or agapeo, is the love that God has for us and that we are to have for God and for one another. The highest form of love. And when Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Agapeo. 
more than these? Do you have that kind of love for me more than they do? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. The Greek word is phileo. You know I'm your friend. You know, Lord, that you required a higher form of love from us. And I failed. I failed utterly. When push came to shove, I denied I even knew you. But you know I'm your friend. And then Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Take care of the guys. They walked on a little bit further. And again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agapeo me? Forget about the comparison. Not more than they, but you, you yourself. Do you truly love me with that kind of love that I ask? And again, Peter, looking at the ground, avoiding eye contact, said, Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I'm your friend. You know I failed, but you know I'm your friend. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Take care of the guys. I chose you for this job. The third time he said to him, walked a little bit further, right about 12 o'clock on the Sea of Galilee now, he said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Now Jesus drops down to friendship. He questions that. In our translations, most of our translations, it's simply love. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But no, you miss the nuance and the, and the importance of the word. Are you my friend? Peter was deeply hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Are you my friend? And Peter said, with tears springing to his eyes, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. You know I'm your friend. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. Okay, I know you failed at the kind of love I ask of you. I understand that. You were afraid. God knows, I was afraid too in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was sweating blood. I know what it is to be afraid. And I know you were. But it's okay. I know you're my friend. So let's start there and we'll work up to the agapeo. He said, I tell you the truth, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. You failed the first time around, Peter, but you're going to have another chance. In the persecution under Nero in Rome, A.D. 64 to 66, Peter is arrested, tried, and crucified. And tradition holds he was crucified upside down, being unworthy of dying the way the Lord had. Yes, Peter came through. And Peter took that responsibility to heart. He cared for those others. He led them. He was the first leader of the church. Peter knew about faithful discipleship. He failed once and perhaps other times. But he was faithful at the end. He tells us himself that love, agapeo, covers a multitude of sins. So each and every one of us, you and me, we've been given talents, gifts, and abilities to be used in the service of the family of God. Peter was given a talent and a gift. He struggled. Sometimes he failed. But he was faithful. He showed up and got the work done. And that's what you and I are called to do. Hey, great being with you this time. Uh, we'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Bye-bye now.